Well, hello, and welcome to New Mommy at 40 podcast, where we hold space for those entering or currently in parenthood at an seasoned stage of life, their 40s. I'm your host, Victoria. Whether you're new here or visiting us again, thank you for stopping by. Come on in, put up your feet and enjoy being in the company of someone who gets you and the amazing and exhausting journey you've taken on. While you wait for our guest today, click on that subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a future episode right now. Oh, and follow us at New Mommy at 40 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. All right, here we go. It didn't happen in my 20s. Who cares? Now I've got all this fancy wisdom to share. Hey, I've got this baby. You're getting the best of me because I'm a new It's our Valentine's Day special. Today we're going to be chatting with Kat and Kurt Beeg. Kat or Catherine is a dating and relationship coach, while Kurt is a game designer, and together they're probably the coolest couple I know. They are going to be sharing some great tips, especially if you're single and in your 40s and looking to start that family, you don't want to miss how they approached bringing that up on the first date and raising our standard. And those of you who are married with baby and in your 40s, you'll want to hear how they keep that spark going. And also, who's Jeff? You'll find out soon enough. Hi, guys. Hi. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. And Galentine's, it's like way bigger this year. Galentine's is huge. It's become a movement. Hashtag Galentine's Day. Yeah, I'm having a Valentine's Day date in addition to my Valentine's Day. Well, look at you getting all weird? the Valentine's dates. Hmm. Not to brag, but you know, I got invited. It wasn't, I didn't put it together. Yeah, I you just wish have guys also had the equivalent of that. It's called football for most men. Uh, that's true. Okay. I think that's our, that's our domain, right? It's the like, Super Bowl? Football day. Don't bother me. Call my friends. <laughs> it's like, come on, I'm watching the game. I, uh, I am no longer into football. It's all wrapped up into another relationship um, baggage. Um, so let's get to how we met. We met at a play group for our kids. Your Coda, the cutest ever, and my Karee. And we didn't know we were in the same like age at the time. It's so rad. I've never seen this before. When I talk to other people, they don't have it, right? And there are towns where the towns are organized. Someone a long time ago, years ago, organized the mommies by year of the birth of your child. So like our children are born 2020. So we're in that group 2020. And so that's how Victoria and I met. The funny thing is like, you don't realize when you're in those groups, the age disparity of the children. So like, yeah, Karee is like, how old now? She's just turned two. Exactly. Like 24 months. Right. And then Mm -hmm. Coda is like, 15 months, which that isn't like a big disparity. So I showed up to these groups too. Like I felt like older mommy, like you don't realize it and nobody's making a big deal out of it, but you just start to put two and two together and notice. But I was like the oldest mommy with the youngest baby. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. (laughs) I get to learn like from everyone and just see what they're doing. But what I I liked about you two from the beginning though, was that Kurt was there. Like, yes. I think you came, you joined in later, Kurt, when I, when we first met, I thought, oh, that's so cool. It, I felt like that instantly kind of shaped for me who you were as a couple and individuals, that it was important for you both to be there with Coda. 
Is that fair to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Kurt? that's definitely how we approach parenting and particularly with him. Yeah, it's definitely been from day one, like we're going to work together and try to overlap everywhere that we can so that it, yeah. it's not siloed parenting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's inevitable. So I'm not saying that it's like, let's not have any specific responsibilities. That's inevitable. You you definitely fall into your instinctual animalistic kind of like daddy mommy things roles but um where we can we always try to make sure that we're cooperative working together and that we can kind of lift each other and do each other's stuff when you guys met were you at a place where you were ready to like settle down with somebody or was this kind of uh like was this an intentional partnership in the sense of you were looking for someone to be life partner and parent yes yeah we absolutely were so like kurt always i like when kurt tells a story but i'll give you a teaser i was very much ready to settle down i was single perpetually and kurt already was settled down (laughs) yeah so we met on tinder uh i was recently uh getting through a divorce Um, I had been with my partner for 10 years and I think three of it, we were married. Um, so I had joined Tinder and I knew what I was looking for. I really put like an intentional, here's me. I make video games and I'm looking for, you know, someone who's going to be my partner in crime kind of deal. He said he wants someone who he can laugh with all the time and take over the world. That's what it was. Pinky and the the brain. brain. And so I was really keen on that. Like, I wasn't looking for hookups. I wasn't looking for, let's just mess around. It's fine, whatever. I was really like, this is Amazon shopping, and I want to find the best reviews and order the best product, right? You know, And it like, better be here in two days. Prime. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there she um, And it was a little, it was intimidating, you know, going back into the dating scene at 35, my first date, I still remember this, this girl pulled out three cell phones asked me if I minded that she met other partners in different cities and then proceeded to argue with me when I told her just in passing that I thought 50 cents in the club was probably the peak mainstream rap hit of our lifetime. She got very angry at that. And then um, that date ended. It definitely ended. And I felt sad about it. She came out of the bathroom at one point. This was the part that was really sad. She came out of the bathroom and sat next to me, and I said, do you think this date is going okay? And she looked at me, and she goes, I'm going to give you a quick tip since you're new at this. Don't ever ask someone that question on a date. And that was it. We walked out. I was like, wow. Whoa. So that was a doozy. I definitely, I'm not kidding you. I left that night, and I went home, and I thought, I mean, if this is what dating is going to be like, this is going to be difficult. But, you know, I'm very resilient and persistent. We're just going to have to get rid of these extra people who are just not really trying to have less than three phones in their pocket. Um, So, yeah, and it was um, same for me. Cat's way of doing it is amazing. Yeah. So I have a book about it, actually, to teach women how to find their husband online. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that for sure. Oh, yeah. But basically, okay, so I'm a relationship coach. Maybe I should just drop that right here. And so for women who are successful but single, this was the beginning of my research. When I met Kurt, I was already researching 
how to find your husband, basically, and like educating myself about men, things I didn't understand, why were things happening to me that were a pattern, and not being like a sad sack about it, definitely reflecting on myself, like what is my deal? Why am I single? Not in the, oh, why am I single? But in the, not legit, like what's my deal? If I can see why everyone else is single, what's my deal? And so the deal ended up being that I wasn't being selective enough and holding to my standards because I was worried that I wasn't gonna find him. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I was 36. I was just coming out of long-term relationships, short-term relationships, they were all the same. They were just going nowhere. It was like, these were not guys I was gonna marry. And so why was I in relationships with them? And so I just swiped left so much more than I ever had in my life. And that's something I never would have done. And I think a lot of women who are like, just dating but they hope to find the man that they're going to end up with they do this we lower our standards for the date when we would never lower our standards for the husband and so we end up in these dumb relationships that Mm -hmm. are hardly it's like quotation relationship right and we wonder where our husband is and it's like he's probably out there like waiting for you to stop being dumb (laughs) like that's what he's doing and so guys that i would have swiped on and thought oh he seems cool he seems like on my level he seemed i just started going nope 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 this is not my husband i just started really putting in my head this is not my husband this is not my husband i only swiped right on anyone that i thought oh that could be my husband and i wouldn't go on many dates with them either or at all like if they didn't ask me on a date that was just like bye bye see you later like and it wasn't in a negative way it was with gratitude like thank you i don't think we're looking for the same things bye because like if a man doesn't ask you on a date within 24 hours of chatting each other up he's not serious like you can tell the way kurt talks about i knew what i was looking for that's mm-hmm. how men are when they're trying to get married they're trying to find a quality partner for their whole life to have children with them. And we just started saying no to things that we would have said yes to in the past, but we were done with it. No, you now you knew your standards. Now you knew what you wanted. It was clear and you knew who you were. You know, once you have truly arrived at yourself, you know what you're deserving of. So now how long did it take for you to go from date to marriage? Because you said you met at 35 and 36. Yeah. So when yeah, did you I guys knew. get to marriage? And the moment that she messaged me on Tinder, I knew coming out of a divorce, I have to be, this is a real deal. Like, I just remember the first message she wrote me was like, this is very different from anybody else I've talked to, even outside of Tinder. I know this is a big deal. And I can't be half in my divorce or half in myself coming out of my divorce. I have to be fully committed if I'm going to meet this person. And I mean, instantly I was like, yes. And so we went on our first date. It was great. It was just amazing, perfect, just awesome date. Mm -hmm. The very first thing that was important to me was waiting until we had our first argument. And that took a while. So like Kat was sold right off the bat. This is great. Everything's like, let's move forward. And I was, there was no part of me that was like, wait, like, I don't know. I was like, yes, let's do this. But I want you to know that we have to wait until we have our first serious argument because we need to know if we can be great at our worst. That's you know? very wise. And um, how long did that yeah. take? Six months. Six months, yeah. yeah. We got into our first... I mean, we had like small 
little arguments, you know? Yeah, like, this was like like a big like whoa. This like, was the big one. Like, maybe we should reconsider if we're for each other. Do we believe the same things? Yeah. About life. I don't even remember what the argument was about at this point. Yeah, it's well, all how telling. you argue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's telling. But, I think when whenever you can forget the point of an argument shows that you can get over even bigger things. I feel like that's very yeah. telling that you can't remember what it what the argument was about now. Well, it led us to this place where I went out to go see Kat at her place because she lived in Jersey. I lived in Manhattan. So I drove out to her. We went to go get breakfast. And I was kind of like, you know, I really want this to work. And you want to make like team rules that are for these types of arguments and things that happen and make this make these rules together. And we ended up yeah. calling it uh, we named our relationship Jeff. So like these were the Jeff rules. <laughs> and the way it was kind of presented was like separately we do things as individuals but when you're in a relationship you kind of do things as a group that neither of you would do you know like maybe you go see some like french foreign film together you i would not do that by myself she might not do that by herself but like jeff would go do this so we made these rules and it became like you know team jeff was our thing and once we did that it was this is a person that I can work with when we're at our worst. And we put those rules into effect, which was also you have to wait until the next argument. When's the next argument? When can we try our rules to right, see to if they're going to work? Use. That's funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And some of them were really the simple, work. like simple things that we learned about ourselves that made a huge difference that we still even use today. Like um, on a, asking the person on a scale of one to ten how important what they're arguing about is. Because we had had some arguments that were, for me, a two. And then for Kat, they were an eight. And had I known that it was an eight for Kat, I would have approached it totally different, right? But when you're at a two and someone's coming at you, like, aggressively about something, what you're thinking is, this person's two is completely way out of line. (laughs) Like, you know? Or you can flip it, too. It could be like, if he says two... Cat, you can go oh he is not aware at all so yes he's not aware so that would disarm me a little bit because then i would say okay let me i'm gonna have to explain this this is gonna need yes. some explaining because yes. you're at two oh, yeah. how could you not be at eight like i am yes right? like when you're at an eight it doesn't occur to you that that could be a two for someone right right no never and it really helps to bring out the compassion because i think when you always argue just as a human you're arguing with yourself like you immediately think the person you're arguing with is you right like you first identify that person and you want to talk to them as if you would convince yourself of something that's your first thought when you engage in arguments asking that simple number question has a huge impact because it immediately puts the person outside of you like when i find out that cat's an eight on something and it's a two for me it brings out compassion like oh, wow, I had no idea that this was so important to you, right? Which is something I would not say if I was just straight up arguing with someone who I thought was myself and has my same ideas and could be, you know, talked to in the same way. That's brilliant. So we argued for two more years after that, and then we just got married. Yeah. Argued straight through that moment. So two years after that, so so that was like the six-month mark, the argument, and then two years after that, you got married. Yeah. So, so you basically like had a year. So you had yeah, a year like, before Coda's arrival to just. Yeah. Yeah. About. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. During pregnancy, Kurt, what was pregnancy like for you? 
And do you feel society even thinks of a man's perspective? As oh, a totally. Partner? I think societies, I mean, right off the bat, which is always the way it is. I think the stereotypical labels and just culture surrounding dads is just so way off and wrong, right? It's either portrayed in commercials with dads who don't know how to do anything and can't figure anything out and would never dress in pink for their daughters, right? Like it's either that or it's some other version of it, which is stoic, can't talk, doesn't communicate, never vulnerable, emotionally unavailable. You're not annoyed with your wife for having demands. You are excited to resolve your wife's issues or wants so that she can be comfortable. You want your wife to feel like she can relax so she can nest. The only problem that I really had as a man, it's just you can't do anything again to make sure the child is safe. It's not up to you. There's nothing you can do about it. So when certain things came up like gestational diabetes, you know, as a dad, you're just like, cool, so what can I do? And they're like, you can go warm up the car. And you're like, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, it's just, again, that feeling of like, but how do I make sure the baby stays in there? And they're like, you can't. <laughs> and then for you, Kat, like in your experience, I didn't know you had, you know, uh, Kurt just explained about gestational um, diabetes. Was it a pretty easy pregnancy for you up until that point? Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. So like, so I should say too, that like we lost one baby already and so you go into the second I'm pregnancy sorry. with that thank you like with that fear of like first of all you don't know how common it is like for me to just glaze over you saying sorry is like because at this point you talk to so many women and everyone's like ah that happened to like all of us basically mm -hmm. so many women like it's happened to and you don't realize because people don't talk about miscarriage as much as we probably all should so that we understand right how common it is but we had one baby lost it very early like within the first yes yeah, so it was like within the first three months like we lost the baby and so it was one of those like it's over before you you know even go anywhere but the second one you are very like nervous and so the joke that we had later in the pregnancy was like god this would be a great pregnancy if it wasn't for all these doctors <laughs> like so there's a thing about like being older when you're uh high risk right pregnancy okay. is that they check you all the time. Yeah, like and everything. So something circumstantial just happened where it's like the first 20 week ultrasound, Coda's head was like blocking one of the many measurements they have to take of the baby, right? So instead of just doing the ultrasound on the outside, they had to go inside me and do it transvaginally. And that's when they found out just by coincidence that my cervix is shorter than it should be. And so the whole thing with your first baby is is that just how you are as a woman? Because it could be. Or is this baby just going to fall out of you any second? Right? Mm. That's how we felt. And so there's this thing we kept looking up called incompetent cervix. Oh, yeah. That's what they called it. I they remember called the term, Incompetent yes. cervix. Nothing. Just the patriarchy of medicine is never more obvious than when you are a pregnant woman. That you're just like, yeah, you know, just I got this incompetent cervix. Can we not insult the cervix while it's doing its job? <laughs> exactly. Can can we get some sympathy here? Like, come on now. From 20 weeks, he would take me for a walk every day, you know, do all these things to like make sure we're healthy through this pregnancy because we're already worried that we're older, right? Right. And uh, so we couldn't walk anymore. We weren't allowed to have sex anymore. So we went like the whole pregnancy with no sex. It was Whoa. the worst. It was horrible because like they were like, oh, yeah, there's all these things you can do to like weaken the cervix further. And then I had to take um, 
what is it, the uh, estrogen pills, mm-hmm. but like you have to stick them up there and they melt yes. like a suppository basically. And so like I had to take those every day. So it's like I was also like goopy. And it was like, just like, it was just crazy. And so we had all these diagnoses. So like, we never let up on these diagnoses. So it was the incompetent cervix. Then by the time, and then, so they would check us, like we had ultrasounds every week, right? Every week I had an ultrasound. This is not normal. So every week I had an ultrasound to check. Is everything still okay? Is the placenta intact? Blah, blah, blah. And so, um, and is there enough fluid around CODA? Blah, blah, all this stuff. And so you're counting down because they give you these oh. probabilities. So they give you these D days constantly of like, if you can make it to 28 weeks, if you can make it to 32 weeks, if you can make it. So it's always, if you can make it, the chance of your baby not having a horrible death or a horrible life yeah. is much and much lower, right? So that was all the way until the infamous like sugar test. So we're through now all of the incompetent cervix stuff. It's pretty obvious that's just the way my body is. And the baby's staying up there despite already miscarrying once. So now I find out I have gestational diabetes. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, again, you don't know that this is not your fault. You are thinking there's something you could have done to prevent it. And now we know that is absolutely not true. And so, yeah, it got to the point where even though it was just the last maybe eight weeks of my pregnancy, it felt like a lifetime. And that was eight weeks of you're having to eat like six to seven times a day. And the thing is, you do it, you do it because you just, you want this baby to to get here safely and, you know, and be healthy. And when I think about my body being pregnant, my body was a champ. Like I did great. I feel so fortunate and so lucky. And then all these constant diagnoses were like freaking us out inside. It's like, I think you can hear my voice, like the anxiety of like, oh, how- And the truth is that would have been, it's because you know how precious this particular pregnancy is because of how old you are. And that is the part where you cannot fake the funk about your age because it's, you know what I mean? That I think that's what, makes it because I had anxiety the entire pregnancy too because I had a loss before her so every time was you know going to the restroom and checking is like then do I see anything that looks weird it's hard it's hard but the important thing is all of that brought you your amazing Coda yeah so Coda arrives and you have him in your arms like what was that like for the first 24 hours was there any like special moment that happened that you can tell us yeah. about? Uh, I will tell you something really amazing that happened. I mean, we had a bunch of good, amazing moments in the labor part of it, but the one that was really special was while Kat was pregnant, I would always talk to Coda in her tummy. So, and I would always say the same things. I would say, baby Coda, we love you. Mommy and daddy are so proud of you. You're growing, being a strong boy or girl. We didn't yeah. know at the time, but we knew was, when we did know, we used called him that. Boy, yeah. Boy, and um, and you grow healthy and strong for mommy, daddy. When he came out, you know, he was crying and doing all stuff, and they put him on cat, and she's having her mommy moment. And, you know, he calms down, but then he cries again. And then he started crying this one time, and I went up to him, and I said, Coda mommy, daddy, love you. And he stopped, and he, like, opened his eyes. And the nurse in the background goes, oh, my God, she knows his, he knows his voice. And I was like, oh, my God, he knows my Aww. voice. Like, 
Like, that had, like, you could definitely tell that that had, like, set in him that it was, like, a moment of, like, calm for him. And after that, he was, like, pretty chill. Mm -hmm. Like, that moment really, like, set him back to calm. That was cool. That was, like, whoa. That's amazing. Yeah, I have a song that I've been singing to Carice since she was in the womb. and, And I still sing it to her every morning. And so, oh, and she's wow. now she now she's so over it. She's like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, I know the song. Um, but is it her comfort song? Like, can you tell? It's one of them. But she yeah. she wakes up usually. She she wakes up smiling and like it, like the best baby. Like making jokes and she'll she'll wake up and she'll go, hi mama, hi dada. I'm like, well, hello, Curry. Good morning. Morning. It's the cutest oh. thing. Now that she can talk, it's awesome. Um, She's, is it amazing? Yeah. It, you we wait until wait. you hear Coda. Wait. wait until you hear Coda say something. It's just like, today, yes, actually today for the first time she said, I love you. Oh, so good. We've been practicing oh, that with him for so long. Yeah, That's so said, cool. Did you freak you. out when you heard it? I couldn't. I was in a Meineke. Like, <laughs> getting my, I was just sitting there and she just, she took her hand and um, put it on my chin and she said, and she turned it and she said, I love you. Aww. I know. So cute. Um, she's, she's amazing. What an oil she's change. Amazing. Yeah, it was the cutest. <laughs> it was the cutest. Um, so cool. I wanted to ask, for you guys as a couple, has there been, ever been a moment where the relationship has hit like a stagnant kind of wall when it comes to intimacy or communication since having Coda? What have you used to get through that moment? Yeah. Like definitely is the answer. Like nobody is immune to that. I don't think. And like something that Kurt recognized really quickly is that like, he's so in tune with this way more than me. Like I'll notice the effects of it, but he'll notice what is happening, like as it's happening. And so one of them is that when you become a parent or even part of a marriage and you start to take on like married houses, finances, child, all these different things, you start to solely communicate to each other logistically and Mm -hmm. nothing is less sexy than negotiating life with someone you're supposed to have sex with like that is the word and you don't realize the energy suck it takes on your soul and how you just start to treat each other like functional beings that are an end to a means. And I think that presents itself in people's relationship in different ways. I think there's the common like toxic masculine trope of like men just viewing their women as like, well, you just need to have sex with me this number of times and I'll be happy. And it's like, no, I know you don't work that way either, dude. Mm -hmm. You're just putting that in place because you've gotten to this logistical negotiation talk. That's your love language now, whether (laughs) you like it or not, you know? And so like, to get out of that really comes down to taking those moments that's so cliche, but like that you did when you were dating and everyone knows their thing. I like that love languages are so prevalent now because people like, you know, the thing that's important to your partner. And so for Kurt, it's always like going on dates. If we don't like, it's not about the activity of going on a date, but it is like if going on a date where we're talking about non-functional things, we're just laughing and joking about 
stupid things, something we saw on Twitter, uh, you know, like observing people in a restaurant, talking about the food and what we think about it. And that makes me think of this. And it makes me think of this childhood memory, like those types of connections that used to happen regularly when it was just the two of you and you didn't have these responsibilities. That is the only things that are going to bring you closer. And so it's not just the talking. So it's touching if that's your thing. So for me and Kurt, like when we're having a hard time or Kurt's having a hard time, I will start to like retract a little bit and I will want to touch him less. Like even in that moment, I want to touch him less. So if I just go to him and like put my body on him or touch his arm or come closer, hey, can I hug you right now? Even though it feels scary. Like that is not my style to be like, can I hug you when you're angry? Like it's so weird. But like, if I go in to hug him or ask to hug him, it's always like welcome with open arms. Doing those things that you know are your partner's hot button, like love button, if you will. That's the only stuff that will bring you closer together. And going on dates is not easy. We're one of those families that like, we don't have mothers and like, we don't have grandparents in our lives to take our children whenever we feel like it. We have to actually hire a young person of our choosing that will take our child for the night while they're sleeping. That's just one way. What are you thinking of? No, I mean, I think you nailed it. I mean, I mean, I think that it's not just a problem with, you know, being parents necessarily. I think parents create the perfect storm or parenting creates the perfect storm for, hey, instead of us just hanging out together, let's solve this next problem that we need to figure out um, and get ahead of things, you know, because as a parent, you're either behind or you're just staying afloat no matter how hard you work so i think that there's kind of like a draw that when it's the end of the day or when it's on a date even it's like let's talk about kids let's talk about what we're doing let's talk about this and it really is important that it's like no you know there's got to be when you go on a date you know we don't we try not to talk about our baby you know like until it's time really try to emerge immerse ourselves even as it might be difficult seeing each other as the sexual beings that we are and really kind of like for lack of a better word like really drawing that label out like doing things that will encourage both of us to see us that way because i think a lot of people mistakenly think that the spark goes away it's not the spark is there you just both have to get dressed up and go out to an environment where you're used to seeing each other in that way that brings the spark out. But opening your phone again when the waiter goes away and looking at baby pictures or talking about daycare tomorrow and whether or not the food's done, that's gonna bring it back. So it's kind of like, I think that a lot of people feel helpless rather than, look, this is gonna be hard, but we gotta not talk about Coda tonight. Let's go out, let's get some food, and let's just talk about literally nothing. Let's talk about what's on Netflix. Let's talk about something, you know? And you have to both hold each other accountable, you know, you have to, we'll do the thing of like, at least when we were going on our dates of like, hey, let's, you know, I know you're talking about Coda, but let's try to talk about something else and Kat doing that for me too. And like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. Not getting angry at each other, but literally being like, yeah, we're helping each other. And you're keeping each other accountable. Like, no, come on, let's stay on task. We're, we're keeping it sexy tonight. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, it's really nice to hear the male perspective in, in this. So it's, oh, I, I look forward to, to seeing maybe the two of you on an alive one day, maybe you do your own, I'll be there because I really love Thank hearing you. your, both of your perspectives, but Kat, you were a makeup artist before yeah. being a dating, you know, relationship coach. Um, 
So that was a change that your relationship also had to go through in career change, yeah. right? So yeah, I feel like what didn't change for everybody over yeah. the past two years was that like, a, was that due to COVID? Yeah. So uh, that transition from corporate and having that corporate job, it's interesting how easily you can just transfer all those skills into something new. So dating coaching was something I was already doing for friends of mine on the side. It was really interesting. And I started to notice this pattern, like in all my research, I've now researched eight years of how do we stand in our feminine power to attract the best man for ourselves? And I felt like I had done it myself, you know, not to brag, but I'm pretty proud of like what happened. <laughs> and so I started educating myself a long time ago, and now I just need to educate myself on being an entrepreneur. And the crazy thing about being primed for this in our lives and our transition is Kurt had only ever been an entrepreneur. I had only ever worked corporately. And now we're kind of flip-flopping, which is really interesting. And he's able to easily support me because a lot of being an entrepreneur is doing these things on your own. You feel like you're alone. There's nobody else who knows. The stuff that I'm going through, this is crazy because you have to do every role. Mm -hmm. And you have to do the social media roles and everything. And so Kurt's easily able to champion me, even if it's just emotionally. I can just vent to him about like, can you believe this happened? I don't know how to do this. Like learning all this new technology, everything that goes with being an entrepreneur. Um, but the coolest thing was finding clients. So like my first and my, all the way to my fifth or sixth client now have all been referrals. So those friends I used to coach, they referred paying clients to me. And now those paying clients have referred more clients. And another friend of mine who is a beauty and wellness coach referred one of her clients to me. And now I have a roster of clients that I didn't even anticipate. I thought I was going to have to build more and meet strangers online like I did with dating. And it hasn't been the case. It's gone so smoothly. And wow. I feel like that is a good sign that you're in the right place. Well, I mean, hello. You obviously sound like you know what you're doing and you're doing, you're already doing it within your own relationship. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. It's easy to see when someone's actually using the advice that they give, it's applicable to their own relationship. Because no one wants yes. to go to somebody who's single, hasn't been married. Well, I mean, you can, there are dating coaches out there that are single. I was about to say that, like, you'd be surprised. But I mean, so, but I'm always like, I'm like yeah. why is that man not married? He, you're taking his advice. That's a little bit odd. So I do feel like I wouldn't have a leg to stand on if I, I didn't go through what those women had already been through. And so that's why my niche that I've selected, because I see the need for it, is women who are successful but single have a unique set of traits that has been put upon them by life and this patriarchy and society that prevents them from attracting the kind of man who is going to show up for them. And it's same thing I said earlier, it's not their fault at all, but they have a responsibility. And once they realize that responsibility, oh, the light bulbs go off and it's hopeful because they don't realize they have so much more control than they think they have. They're so busy controlling other things when they can actually control what they bring to the table and so what men are attracted to okay so what do i do if i'm 40 and i'm single and i am looking to start a family soon and i'm on that first date like how do i handle bringing up a subject like that on a first date yeah i say bring it up first thing and obviously that's different for everybody and everyone has a different communication style so i would say that like this is where getting help is critical because a lot of people don't know what dating coaches will do, right? But the fact is nobody taught us how to date. So you just got to humble yourself and realize, I don't know how to date if I haven't 
found my successful end of this yet, right? And so to date to reach your goal is where you would need a coach to reflect on you and help you understand what are the things you're bringing to the table that are helping? What are the things you're bringing to the table that are hurting that someone else, your potential partner, is reading as negative or or is something you could work on to be a better partner in a relationship, right? That's what everyone's assessing. How is this person a partner as a relationship? So number one, getting the help. But number two is do not be shy to bring up that that's what you're looking for. I think that even on your profile, like most people are dating online, right? So on your profile, it should say that you're looking for something serious. Do not be dismayed that people who are not looking for something serious are still going to try to hook up with you. But it's your job to say no to the ones who are clearly not looking for what you're looking for and definitely bring it up on the first date in a way that is fun and enjoyable. Uh, talking to someone about their future is always fun. So asking them where a family and marriage plays into that should not be as taboo as we all make it to be in modern dating. It's only taboo because we're all stuck in this chaotic hookup mentality when that's not actually your goal. So you don't have to bring that to the table. Yeah, and I think uh, if I can add one thing onto that, Kat talks about this a lot, which is, you know, a lot of women will talk about how, you know, they're intimidated to talk about these things on a first date because, you know, I don't want to make a man feel like I'm trying to control him or, you know, if I talk about kids too soon, it might scare him away. The truth is the that there's a, there's a small percentage of men out there who are trying to get with any woman that they can. So when you bring up kids to that guy and guaranteed that guy is hitting every girl that he can, you're not like the only one who's getting this type of guy. This guy goes and cycles with every girl that he can find on Tinder. He's the one super power swiping. When you bring it up with him and you get that reaction from that man, that man's gonna make it feel like it's your fault. But that's because that man is a sad man. He wants to make it your fault because he doesn't want to own the fact that he just got outed as a guy who doesn't want kids, doesn't want a serious relationship, doesn't want to get married, and doesn't care about what you want. So the truth but is when you responded, find that man, But still responded to you anyway, even though you were clear that that's what you wanted. Because there's nothing wrong with being a man who doesn't want those things. Exactly. But presenting but also, as if you do, yeah, presenting as if you do to someone who's actually looking for something serious, that's where the offense is, right? Right, well, and also too, it's like, if you know you want kids as a woman, but you feel nervous to bring it up because it might scare the man away, then you're actually inviting in men who don't wanna deal with that question. If you're confident that you know what you're looking for when it comes to kids, marriage, or even relationship or whatever, mm -hmm. when you bring that up, you should be filtering out that person if they can't handle that question. And by can't handle it, I don't mean can't answer yes or no. A man can be very confident and say, I don't want kids. And then you both know respectfully, this is not going to work out. I want kids. You don't. This is cool. We could be friends. Good luck to you on your road and good luck to myself on my road. But it's the man that when they bring it up, that the man fidgets, gaslights, changes the subject, doesn't want to talk about it, blames you for bringing it up. That guy does that to every woman because he doesn't want to deal with the fact that he's being confronted and being outed as a man who has not good intentions. Yeah. And by not good, I mean if you want to have a fun one-night stand, that's the right guy. But if you're trying to build a family or you're trying to find a serious partner, 
you got to weed that guy out and not let him make you feel guilty about putting your demands of what you want in your life out there. Yeah, I think in general, women, uh, you know, that demand part is, I think that's gotten the bad rap, you know, it's kind of, you know, because it could be reworded as confident, right? But yes. then when people start saying, well, you're demanding, it's like, no, I'm just telling you what I would like. I'm, I'm, I, that's what I want in my life. There shouldn't yeah. be an issue for that. But I think we're, we're wired to think that is a negative thing. Yeah. And it's the thing is like that wiring really messes with us because so many women these days, the mistake I see them making is they think they can do both at the same time. I can be yeah. the I'm okay with the hookup girl and still be looking for my husband. And the truth is that is not how it works. It is your responsibility to choose so that you do get those quality men who are looking for that higher level love that you're looking for. So you can't be hooking up with the guy who's not that serious and tomorrow say, but I still want the husband. It doesn't work right. that way. Your standards, once they are broken, they start falling apart one by one by one. That's, I think, the big misconception. A lot of women who are ready for that step in that life genuinely, they're tricked by modern dating into thinking that it's okay to hook up and look for my husband, and you just can't. They yeah, just you're not going to attract what you. You're yeah. not going to attract ultimately what you want. And I would like to ask Kurt, what do you love about Kat? What do I love about Kat? Oh my gosh, uh, I've never met someone who is as thoughtful as Kat who will put in the work with me to build a happy family. We both come from very difficult family backgrounds. And so finding someone that you can build this future with in an ideal, healthy relationship that you don't even know how to model it and take that journey with someone takes a lot of trust and a lot of faith and a lot of courage. And that's what I love about Kat the most is, I mean, she's just a passionate fighter for what she wants and from the moment that we met each other we were both aligned with let's make the family that we both wanted to grow up in together and we don't know what that looks like and we don't know how we're going to get there but we're never going to give up on it and that's what we've done mm. yeah oh cat what do you love about kurt um i love this since when i met him like he's capable of turning nothing into something like he's always been capable of that. It's really nuts. He's a game designer and I've seen him just take ideas just out of his brain and make them into real, actual, tangible, touchable things. I think that's like the coolest skill that you could ever have. And like, I feel that way about our relationship too, where he holds our relationship to such a high standard, like creatively, communication wise, where we spend our time, our energy, like he's always pushing, always growing, always learning. And I think it is that ability to like, I feel like that's the, the residual effect of it, that he can just, he can just take nothing and turn it into something all the time and make it something great and amazing. I love that. And, and Karee loves you guys, apparently. <laughs> Karee, we oh, love you, you're so too. cute. Oh, and thank you, Karee, for joining us this week. <laughs> I'd like to thank Kat and Kurt and Jeff, of course, for sharing some very useful nuggets of wisdom today. No more phones at dinner, Desi, I promise. 
<laughs> to find out more about all that Kat has to offer as a coach, visit KatherineBeeg.com and follow her on Instagram, KatherineBeeg, C-A-T-H-R-Y-N-B-I-E-G. And you can find Curtis on Twitch.tv slash CurtisWow and CurtisWow on Instagram. And while you're there, don't forget to follow New Mommy at 40 on Instagram and Facebook. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody.
See you next Monday.